If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to the Fade to Bay Network. Oh! <laughs> we invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Their nuanced conversations. And forward thinking. And not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Welcome to another episode of Fade to Gray. Today's guest is Mark Karras. Mark recently uh, finished writing a book solely dedicated to those deconstructing and reconstructing their faith, i.e. the de-churched. Mark is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a university professor, an ordained pastor who has gone through the deconstruction reconstruction journey himself. This book seeks to offer a compassionate guide that combines theology, cutting edge psychology, and philosophy for those who want to successfully navigate the complexities of their faith and learn how to increase their emotional and spiritual health and vitality. And it is with this in mind that we are happy to introduce Mark Karras. How are you doing? Woohoo! Oh! <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> Welcome, Mark. Wow. That's great to be. I think you said yeah. vitality instead of vitality, but whatever. That's okay. yeah, I said it. You said Karras <laughs> instead of Karras. Listen, it's, it's fine. We're, we're all that's human it. Start, here. Start over. Start over. <laughs> one thing I do want to say before we keep going one, one of us is watching on live with the volume up right now because I could hear the feedback through the microphone. Uh, I'm not able to hear that. Anyway, Mark, you're here. Let's do this. <laughs> wow. What a, what a maze. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Apparently, it was just me. So if it's just me and I'm hearing things, then I'll get that checked out later. So. <laughs> well, I, I am a therapist, so we could talk about it. What voices are you hearing, Omar? Um, well, you know, I thought it was Jesus for a long time, but let, I don't know. I, I was Pentecostal, okay. so. <laughs> oh, me too, brother. Me too. <laughs> One is Pentecostal. Man, I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, great to be here. What's uh, what's on the uh, the verbal agenda here? What are we going to talk about? Well, really, we just want to get your story, man. So, yeah. you know, obviously you fell into faith somehow. So how did you get into it? Mm. Fell into faith. Yeah, this is a story. This is the um, the lifetime drama. This is the epic adventure of gangs and violence and suicidality and drugs and mental illness. Oh, where do you start? I mean, my you know, to be serious, yeah, it was uh, growing up was in that kind of environment. It was pretty wild, pretty crazy. Mom was a, a, a drug dealer. Uh, and a, you know, a drug addict, she would eventually die from a drug overdose. Um, you know, wow. stepfather was a pagan. I don't know if you know motorcycle gangs, but hell's angels, pagans. And, okay. Yeah. So yeah, he was, it was, yeah, it was just crazy. Um, father. Aryan nation too, right? 
Well, there definitely there is a kind of white supremacist bent with, that's embedded with usually within the, the gang. So, so yeah, I mean, it was rough, man. And then mental illness. My my father uh, was mentally ill, still mentally ill. Uh, Great grandmother, you know, as a therapist, I'm always interested in like family dynamics and it turns out that my great 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 grandmother died in a mental hospital her sister was mentally ill mm. and three out of my four uncles have a mental illness and and uh i didn't talk about my brother but he's a year and two months younger and he has uh paranoid schizophrenia so we were, did not grow up christian by any stretch of the imagination and so how i fell into it was just being a young kid, you know, cutting, depressed, no really ability to hope or no ability to fathom some kind of, I mean, I, I had no idea what happiness meant uh, or what healthy living would mean. But I was, uh, what saved me actually was picking up the guitar. And I think that was a really saving grace. Started picking it up, playing. At what age? About 15 then started playing in bars around 17 and then opening up for national acts uh, around 18 doing some kind of mini wow. tours in the tri-state area then a progressive metal hardcore band did you have How family and i'm sorry Seth. did you have family that was at musicians or what what drew you to like picking it up was guitar? it was my homies man new york they couple of guys that you know i was uh had relationships with they all play guitar and it was like well they're playing it so i'll pick it up and so i think that that was a great influence um yeah so things were getting pretty hairy probably at the age of 21 i would get home from you know shows and my twin brother at the time i have a twin brother so i have two brothers one year and two much younger and my twin brother and he would Tell me, you know, hey man, Jesus loves you. He became a Christian a year and a half before I did. So he would say, Jesus loves you, man. You know, I'd be like, F you, man. I don't want to hear about Jesus. And I was like, <laughs> hell no. And at the time, you know, I was with like a, you know, a burgeoning porn star. We were touring, you know. Um, so I didn't need Jesus. I didn't want Jesus and was pretty angry. But things started happening, you know. I mean, after you know, after many, 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 many months of him saying the same exact thing, started just kind of wondering, you know, because my life was on the outside. Oh, wow. You know, maybe he's doing pretty good, but not so much in the inside. Long story short, I tried to kill myself by getting AIDS. Very sick. I mean, like I literally have the thought of how can I get AIDS to suffer and die a miserable death? It's like at what? Yeah, go ahead. At what age? Okay, that, I have many questions. Yeah, yeah, that was at the age of twenty-one, and I just but just looking back and like thinking, how the hell? Like, how do you get to a place that you would have that thought? You know, um, and, and then the story involves like a, a house that was, was full of lesbians, and <laughs> uh, you know, I, it, this isn't an X-rated show, but it, it, it's um, and one of them had AIDS and. Suffice it to say, I, I didn't get AIDS, but it was probably a few weeks after that, that, um, man, I had this one dream of God calling me like I didn't see God, 
but where I woke up and I'm crying hysterically, like God, like something was pulling me. And to make a long story short, one day I was in a field all by myself. My brother was in a Pentecostal church. And I just, I said, God, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I remember that was the last thing I said. And I said, if you're real, show yourself to me. And I broke down. I cried. I wept. And that was the Damascus Road experience. That was shifted the rest of, of my life. Now, granted, I then got saved in a oneness Pentecostal church, very cultish experience. So that's a crash course in, into how I fell into this Jesus stuff. At what age did, did your mom pass? She actually passed at the age of, she actually passed a little later, actually. I believe I was around the age of 20, I want to say 24, 24, 25. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting to hear about, I mean, we call that, I mean, in the gay community, we call that like a, you're a chaser. Like you're trying to get um, HIV or AIDS. Wow. Um, and it's interesting because you're not the first person we've interviewed who's shared that that was a point in their life where they where they sought that or, or, or acted that out. And I'll be honest, there was a point in my own life that um, I stopped caring. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Now, again, that changed over time, yeah. but it, I, I find that a little interesting because um, that's three people now I can name that yeah. have done that. Yeah, very interesting. I've never, and, never heard of that. Um, yeah. Um, so what, when that was happening, mm-hmm. like what was going on in, in, your, mo- like in, your, in your life at that time and, and what was your, your thinking around that? I think it was just lostness. Like, you know, you hear a little bit of my background. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there was forms of abuse that I experienced and what I would consider certainly uh, now trauma. But I think it was, and then, you know, cutting was just a sign that I'm, I'm hurting. You know, I was just so lost. I was hurting. I didn't see an end out of the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and believe it or not, there was something about being introduced to Christianity that I think exacerbated all this, that now, like, some weird guilt was coming into play mm-hmm. and like I was fighting against God and all of that created this massive whirlwind in my soul that just, you know, just kind of popped into my head and I don't know. It was just dark. Was, that's all I, I can think about. It was, it was dark, dark times. Well, I'm really happy that you're still here. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what happened next. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah. you know, like, so it, it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Well, then I told you that story of sort of giving, giving. Oh, sorry, guys. Oh, shit. So it's okay. Take your time. Take your time, man. And don't worry about language on this show. You swear away. Or tears. Yeah. If you want to cry and say fuck at the same time, it's okay. <laughs> I, it just, it just, it's just hitting me. I'm sorry. Holy crap. Oh, it's just hitting me, you know, of, uh, sometimes I tell my story, but, uh, it's more of on a cognitive level, but I'm, I'm just feeling it, mm-hmm. you know, and that could be just cause of connecting with you guys be, beforehand and feeling, you know, connected with you on a heart level. But, 
but so yeah i mean it was love i i remember at the time i was going to school it was short-lived but i remember being in class and just crying uh because i felt so much love you know yeah and, and as someone who's like a master deconstructionist and saying, well, it, it, it was all manipulation. It was the crowd. It was the church. Somebody like I can't deconstruct the fact that there was some tra- something transcendent that I did not muster up, you know, that caused me to feel so much freedom, so much love. Um, it's hard to deconstruct that because I, I didn't know that kind of love. Like it didn't exist in my world. Uh, granted, you know, that maybe there was an aunt and my, my grandmother, she, you know, she was, uh, she was nice and stuff, but so it, you know, I went into a oneness Pentecostal church and that's where my twin brother was. And then was there about four years and man, it was, I didn't know any better. And so they, they were the only ones who had the truth. I wasn't allowed to fellowship or hang out with people who believed in the Trinity. I had this, this deep, desire because at the time no one in my family went to college mm-hmm. and I wasn't allowed to go to school like and I had this really like man I wanted to freaking grow and live and learn and there was something really in me that was crying out for something more than what my family had you know and so women couldn't you know trim their hair or that they would go to hell and you know, I had long hair at the time, and that was a sin because, you know, it says something in Corinthians, you know, doesn't nature itself teach you that if a man have a long, long hair, it's a shame unto himself. So, you know, one time I, I drank wine at a wedding, and there was a, a preacher that I talked to probably a few days later. And I told him about the wedding, and I told him, I, you know, drink wine. I don't know how that came up. And he looked at me so fierce, and he said, you are in danger of hellfire. Oh. That scared the hell out of me. So it wound up becoming, you know, there were some, of course, I don't split anything all bad. Uh, there were some good people there. and But uh, at the end of the day, I wound up being so bound that I couldn't even drink uh, a soda because I felt like I would defile the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like that's how wind up I, I wound up I was, right? What was this denomination? Was it a non-denominational Pentecostal thing or was it? Um, no, it's it's pretty much known as oneness Pentecostalism. Oneness, okay. The yeah, the oneness movement. Back, okay. Yeah, apostolic oneness, mm-hmm. or otherwise known as Jesus only folk. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, I was AG, and so like mm-hmm. we did a lot of a lot of our studies. Uh, it was like schooling, and so um, really familiar with the oneness movement. That's like the one name. So you only baptize people in Jesus name. That's right. You know, right. you stay, you stay away from the Holy spirit or God, the father. It's only about Jesus, which I mean, I could see where that could be good, but to make it a law or a rule to live by, is just kind of acid on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was this in, and this was all took place in New York. Yeah. At the time? New York. Long Island. Okay. And yeah. I could, man, I could just talk about, I could, I could spin that theology uh, because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to baptize in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit. The name is Jesus. Um, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so that was <laughs> like, if you are not baptized in the name of Jesus, as opposed to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're, you're not going to heaven, man. Yeah. And in assemblies of God, you also know, and 
you know, that if you didn't speak in tongues, uh, that that was a sign that you didn't receive the Holy Spirit, thus you were not Jesus's, thus you were not going to heaven. So. And was was oneness that had that same theology as well? Like you had to speak in tongues as well as the evidence? Oh, that was huge. Yeah. <sighs> Pretty abusive. And how long were you wrapped up in all that? It was about four years. And then something happened with the pastor and the pastor's wife. Of course. Um, she's <laughs> Always. She's of a course. Facebook friend. Not so surprising. I, I need to get into the details. But that was something happened and something I felt a little snap in my chest. I was witnessing something and I ran away to Nyack College, which was a Christian Missionary Alliance College, which is kind of evangelical uh, middle of the road school that wound up being pretty healing for me, actually. Although, as you can, well, for me, so I ran away from that cultist experience probably a few weeks. Now I'm at a new college and in my dorm room, I'm on the floor having severe panic attacks feeling like I'm going insane yeah. because I don't know who God is, who Christians are, who's the real Christian. Are, are these, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it yeah. was like, yeah. right. who do you believe? Right. Who hellfire, man. Hell, hellfire. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, man. So what do you, so you're on your floor having this panic attack in this yeah. new environment. Like, uh, I'm assuming, I, should, I guess I shouldn't assume like, so what was your saving grace? Um, roommates, some friends, <laughs> yeah. like what, what, what yeah. happened that got you out of the fetal position? Yeah. Like not, tr- not, not trusting like, you know, like people's intentions. <laughs> it took a while, but I'll attribute it to one that there wound up being some male figures who spoke life into my soul and really believed in me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sort of father figures who, man, shit, I'm emotional on this freaking podcast this is the first time <laughs> that this is um but then there it's was been this, an emotional week man yeah, exactly been, week's yeah, been emotional, dude, so oh my god i could cry i could cry with there, you so. uh, yeah yeah there's no there's no n- normal anymore yeah it's, it's like okay. yeah on top of what's going on it's yeah so and then there was this guy who i just spoke to two hours last night actually he was from the vineyard movement yeah and if anyone knows the vineyard mm-hmm. it's all about it's all about the father's love, man. You know, <laughs> Abba, Abba loves Abba you. Father. Yeah. Abba daddy. <laughs> but man, that, that was, <laughs> I got some inner healing, man. Some, yeah, some inner healing good. prayer. Uh, and, you know, that was a, a really a kickstart to my heart of a, a father who wasn't punitive, but actually maybe more compassionate than I could ever realize. So. And so that happened while you were in school and it was, a, um, and the school, you, you probably mentioned it earlier. Let's just go over again. What, what was the name of it sure. and what were you studying? That school was Naya college. I wound up doing a, a double major in psychology and pastoral ministry. And so pretty healing, you know, there were some things that, you know, it, you know, looking back, of course I can deconstruct some of the theology that I was given, but it was definitely much different than when I experienced and then from there, it wasn't rules, but wasn't rule based as much as it was, like you no. said, like that love and acceptance. You know, yeah, there was something that I, I write in in my book. You know, like what was the first like belief that I kind of deconstructed? And it's so weird. I, I don't think other people. It, it seems so little, but this notion of divine sufficiency. So this notion that God is all that you need. That if you just pray, 
when you get in your prayer closet that as Jesus' lover, you should not need any other lovers, right? And if you're not feeling content in that space, if you're not feeling overcome and where, you know, that vineyard song, you know, you're all I need, Jesus, you're all I need, you know, nothing else is true. I forget the lyrics, but that was a sentiment. And so I wound up singing actually that song in chapel. And I remember I couldn't sing it. Like, and then I remember tears, here I am crying again. I remember tears coming down my eyes and saying, God is not all that I need. And I keep trying to do this performance thing of, of praying more, reading the Bible more. And, but it's not doing it, man. I'm still feeling a little empty here. And part of that was because I needed people. And it was just a, a you know, a, a belief that was shifted for me. Um, and it just was a lie that contributed to suffering in my life because if God, if I had this belief that God is all that I need, then I'm staying away from God with skin on, which would help bring some healing and comfort, just like James, you know, pray for one that people that you may be healed, right? It's sort of, it's not just vertical, it's horizontal. Right. What you've done for Lisa, these you've done for me. You know, and if you can't love yeah. the brother you can see, how can you say you love me? And so there's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff exactly, in the word that would, right. would, exa- would exactly support what you're saying. Right, right, and, right. right. So. Yeah, yeah. So that was one well, of many, you know, beliefs I would wind up uh, deconstructing. Right. So you're starting to deconstruct, right? Like what brought you to want to deconstruct? Like what happened that made you go – Oh man, maybe I need to kind of like rethink some of this programming or, or, you know, what I've been taught or whatever. Yeah. I think it was getting out of that cultish experience. Like it made my mind, like someone who's deceived, they don't know that they're deceived. No. And so, like, reality was really shifted for me. Like, just because you 100% believe something doesn't mean it's true. And that was freaking the hell out of me. So then, well, how do we know it's true? I can't just take people's claims at face value. I can't take this pastor's claims at face value or this chapel's. Like, I have to ask the tough questions now because I was in a place where we had the truth and the only truth, so help us God. Like, everyone else was going to hell and did not have the truth. Especially the Baptists. Oh, Baptist, <laughs> anyone. I mean, even even Pentecostals who were not oneness Pentecostal, like so. But in that in that in that college experience, the deconstruction mind didn't hit me as much because it was more of a healing space mm-hmm. where I I could like heal a bit. But it was, it was I think it was like right after that. Oh well, then I got into it. Um, so I did a counseling degree and then the MDiv. Mm-hmm. And then I just, man, I questioned everything. I mean, absolutely anything that was supposedly nailed to the ground. Yeah. I think it takes a while um, to come from out of a traumatic religious experience to feel okay with questioning, especially when you have a cult-like experience like you had where to question God is even a sin. You know, that the fact that you would have questions is says that there's something wrong with a lack of faith in you and that's why you're not getting what the things you want to attain from God. So how long did it take you to even realize what you were in was a cult? It was probably 
I mean, then, you know, getting out of the cult into that college experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must have been, you know, a year year or two of just thinking about, well, that's not true. I mean, my heart heart already knew it was a cult, which is why I got out of it, right? So there was something in me that said, this ain't good, whatever the hell is going on here. But it was then the, the ability to reflect on it a bit afterwards where, but then I, I had such a mind that said, we're all, we're all, we don't, we are all, we, no one has it. Like they, the oneness Pentecostals didn't have it. The Christian Missionary Alliance didn't have it. You know, I worked in a Korean church for four years. It was a Presbyterian church. I got ordained Southern Baptist, which is pretty wild and crazy. Did you? That's not easy to do. <laughs> Congratulations, my friend. Yeah. Well, that, granted, it was a while ago. So when you worked uh, for the Korean church, was it a Mooney cult? No, no, it, it was uh it was a Presbyterian. They, they were, they were gotcha. good folks, but they needed, they needed someone to kind of minister to their um, youth and, and college age kids. Right? I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I get in trouble for derailing and we can get right back on track. But anytime I hear the Korean uh, Christianity, I think a Korean Jesus on 21 jump street. Um, it's just hilarious. Have you seen it? The new 21 jump street? Oh, Nobody. The movie? Yeah. Which oh, okay. Channing Tatum and uh, Jonah Hill? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Although anyway. I'm forgetting the yeah. Somebody out there is laughing, but nobody here. So let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> but that that's that does if I can connect it. Mm-hmm. There is a Korean Jesus, and there's a African Jesus, okay. and there's a Palestinian Jesus, and an Israeli Jesus, and a white Jesus, and that's the thing that everybody thinks they have their Jesus and that's the right Jesus. But man, we're, if you talk to anyone from those different cultures, we're all looking at things a little differently. And, and for me, I'm out of space where, of course, and that's okay. You know, that's okay. It's okay to be diverse. It, I mean, it's just acknowledging reality, right? There's already what 30,000 different Christian sects and denominations. So it's just, accepting what is right hmm. right and if you were able to get through uh bible college or whatever and get your mdiv your masters of divinity um without leaving the faith i mean that's you're already kind of like ahead there as far as christians go but my question is if you know there are thousands of sects of christianity mm-hmm. with thousands of different beliefs about christ yeah. and who he is and heaven and hell and exactly like if you know that and everyone's interpreting all that from the Bible, um, you know, how is one supposed to believe any of it? Yeah. Well, this is what I try to do in my book. I'm not here to tell people what to believe or how to believe. It's more inviting people into reflecting on their own story. Uh, definitely a lot has to do with you know them experiencing healing. But, you know, I've come to a place where we have to. The Apostle Paul quoted probably some say 2%, explicitly quoted Jesus 2%. And as many of us know, he wrote, you know, much of the, of the New Testament. Well, that's debated too. <laughs> but, but that says something <laughs> that, that most of us were sharing out of our experiences. So how does one come, uh, you know, you come to believe what you believe. 
like it's an invitation. And this is what, what reconstruction is, is you, you need to figure this out for yourself. And it's daunting and it's, you know, it's really scary to cut the, the tethering from the matrix of the religious pastor and the Bible. But there's a way that I invite people to make sense for it for themselves. And how can we share, hey, this is what God or Jesus is doing in my life. This is how I view the scriptures. And some do that and say, oh, I want to join you there. Or that's, oh, I want to join you guys. You know, hence the different sects and denominations. So I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it as, as a, a very human thing and as the spirit of God mixing and mingling within all of our different hearts. And just like a seed would grow differently depending on the soil that is planted, so the spirit within our own hearts is going to have forms of diversity and creativity. And I applaud that and I embrace that rather than seeing that as a sign that there's absolutely no truth whatsoever. So let's be nihilist and eat, drink, and be merry for you know, tomorrow we're going to die kind of thing. No, I would, I would fully agree with you, Mark. I don't know. Again, I say often I want to identify with Christianity, although like if, you know, the Ten Commandments are a model, then I fall way short. But, you know, if Jesus is the model, then maybe we have hope. Um, but something <laughs> you're saying right right there and we'll transition to a question maybe around the question of universalism, because um, along the same lines of like mm -hmm. we have all these thousands of different sects of mm -hmm. Christianity, which which one has it right? Maybe they all have a different part of it. Maybe it's OK and God will allow that because it's different expressions of who he is. I love that. Um, I think what we do a lot of times with Fade to Gray is that's what we like to bring in on different voices with different experiences because listening to you, Mark, uh, and your understanding of God and your relationship with things that you've walked through, um, there's things that I can connect to and can build my faith. There's things that maybe like I would say, no, like, mm -hmm. you know, I disagree with that's, you know, that's, that's not my experience. Um, so... With a worldview or a God view that's that inclusive or accepting, um, it seems like it would be a, the next logical step would be like, well, maybe God's doing that in Hinduism or in, mm -hmm. you know, Islam or s some other form of, of religion. And maybe that they have a very particular view or understanding of God as well. So, um, so yeah. where do you stop? Where do you stop? I guess you know once you start, yeah. you've, you've deconstructed and now you're reconstructing. Is, mm -hmm. uh, do you have permission to pull from wherever you want to, or does that seems like yeah. Christianity has always frowned upon that? So, well, I, I want to answer that. I want to check in. I, I keep looking at Seth. That's a mistake. I don't know. Don't don't <laughs> He's like, just look don't, at me, don't do, Mark. Don't don't, don't look, look at, at me. Seth. <laughs> don't don't look. I don't know. <laughs> Like, I think he's, he's got... He's new. He's new, Seth. He doesn't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I mean, it's a therapist in me. I'm, I'm like, check it, read in the room here, you know? Um, it, like, he's like mumbling things and like, I think he's trying to think about Seth, things. And, like, Seth doesn't like that me. Is so, so anytime not I have true. a question, it's not what that he would ask. He just true. like, he freaks out. We had a comment on the Facebook Live that goes along with this conversation. So oh, I was just man. patiently waiting until I could get in to say it. Thank you. But go ahead, Omar. It is. It is. We are live. Oh, is this live on Facebook right now? We are. It is. Oh, snap. We are live. So I just wanted to check in with Seth, but now that I did that, um, universalism, pluralism. Yeah, well, I mean, to keep it short, 
something that changed for me was realizing that the the spirit mm-hmm. is absolutely everywhere. Is absolutely in each like for, so spirit God is not on a throne somewhere, right? Sort of on occasionally intervening. For me, the spirit is always doing something, always up to something, always inspiring, always uh, challenging or luring or doing something, healing or comforting. So God is always doing something. How dare I say that the spirit of God is only moving within the Christian faith, right? So I can acknowledge that. But really, if one thinks about it, I I don't know how heretical that is, right? So let's take a geographical location where there's not a lot of Christians. So what? God's not there? God's not up to something? God's not going to be there until a missionary comes there? Or is a missionary just being there and seeing what God is doing and kind of joining in that, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's as heretical like if one was to really think about it. But mm-hmm. here's another angle I go with this. Good answer. If Christianity only had was only had the um, well, the only ones who had God, or only the ones who had the Spirit, I say there as and this is my researcher mind. So Chris, this Christian group of Christians have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the real, only true God. This group of people in this religion don't. That's a pretty bold claim. If that's the case, there should be something demonstrably different in the lives of Christians, because they're saying that the only true and real God is doing something in our lives. <laughs> that makes so much which sense. Which is saying that God is not here. So qualitatively, there should be some demonstrable difference in the but lives of those who say, "Yep, yeah, we we're the only ones who have God." So th- that's one angle that I, I go with that. So I acknowledge that there is plurality. God's doing a lot of things. I'm not one to say that, uh, like, I'm okay in saying some beliefs, and this is my opinion, man, they're batshit crazy. Like, if you're thinking that 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 asteroid, if you're going to kill a group of people and you're thinking you're going to fly in Heaven's Gate, man, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's a little little (laughs) hard for me to, to grasp. I respect that that's their belief. They all well, got nice Nikes, though, before they died, at least. So I, I don't know. I, there's some things where I'm, you know, and that's okay. I can say this isn't for me. This doesn't line up with my heart. This is, But and then I could say, guys, I can acknowledge pluralistic activity of the spirit in all faiths and religions. But I can also acknowledge that the spirit has done something wonderful and unique in the Christian faith through this Jesus character, right? Um, And and also unique in other places. But for some reason, this Jesus found me. And if it wasn't for the experience of Jesus, or Jesus as I perceive, or God as I perceive, um, I I would be out of the Christian faith because it's, you know, it hasn't fared well for my soul and other people's souls. But there's something still about where I came from and how I got out of that in the person of Jesus. And then I'm reading the teachings of Jesus that kind of always, you know, my, my stake has been in the ground there. And I draw, of course, from other faiths. Too. Well, let me ask you this because 
What it sounds like to me is that you're saying that because you had a personal experience, uh, a life-changing experience with uh, the deity of Jesus, um, you're saying that that is what saved you, but you're saying that other people in other places might have been saved by the Buddha or uh, whatever it is that's uh, helping them out in life. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? I mean, that's that's a conclusion that one can draw, right? That There's no okay. doubt. Like even me saying, well, you know, your Christianity is real. Look what it did to my fa- my life. That's 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 silly to use that as an argument for the validity of Christianity because there's other people in other faiths whose lives have been completely transformed, saved from addiction, saved from depression. Yeah. So yeah. that that can't be like, well, look at this. This is an apologetic. But all I could say is, this is what happened with me. This is. Oh, this is what happened with you and your. Well, can we share stories? Like, right. like, I, wow, that's fascinating. Can I share you my story? Like, that's that feels good for me. Yeah, I agree with you, and yeah. and I've I've actually been playing with this a lot lately because you know as a person who has deconstructed my faith and has decided to not reconstruct mm-hmm. it, um, because you know you got emotional earlier about your salvation experience. I mean, of course I had that as well, but I got just as emotional about my deconversion experience um, and felt this weight lifted off my shoulders. And at the time, you know, it's something that I really needed because I was feeling, you know, a certain way about Christianity at that point that just was very heavy and very, you know, burdensome. Um, But, you know, to go back to your point at the time that I found Jesus I needed that. I needed a family, a Christian family. I needed a father figure, right? And so I can't say that Jesus did not save me, even though I don't believe in his divinity, because he did. He 100% saved me. And that's, you know, it, it's it's interesting to think about it that way because some people would say, well, you know, if you don't believe in the divinity of Jesus, you know, then you're going to hell or whatever. Well, I don't believe in hell, but, you know, is it is it possible that forgetting concepts like heaven or hell forgetting concepts of you know what the bible says because in my opinion the bible's trash strong words yeah. trash trash in my opinion in my, yeah yeah so right well hold, hold on does the bible consist of some <laughs> trash or it's all completely trash thank you mark thank you okay. mark you're welcome omar well, to, to that point, I tried to cherry pick what I liked out of it, but then how do you, you know, why would you say that one's true over the other when they all come from the same book? What I'm trying to say okay, is- let's, let's, Wait, is wait, it, before you keep going, because you said that Jesus, whether or not he's the, like God or not, saved right. you. Yes. At one point okay. in my life, and I needed it. And where was that Jesus found? Correct. Right. I agree. But at the same time, I didn't necessarily, well, without the Bible, of course, the teachers that I had would not have been able to teach me about that except for oral tradition or whatever. But at the same time, like if, if I were, that's exactly why I left Christianity was because of the Bible. Okay. So you, you could, oh, this is you, fun. I mean, your, your, your I'm view just saying. Of your, what's interesting, if I may, Chris, is sure, it's yeah. your, it was your view and perception of the Bible. Like, for example, there are, you know, some people say, you know, with atheists, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. 
you know. And for you, it could very well be the way you perceived and looked at the Bible was in some ways the the Christian demise. Like, for example, there's people like Peter Andrews. A lot of people say, yeah, you were reading the Bible like some kind of scientific textbook that was devoid of story that was devoid of it's not about what's well this is a contradict like that's totally missing the point thus it becomes more inspiring like oh i could read it i don't have to care about what's right or wrong in a sense like how's that landing for me and how do i talk about this in a community and so it becomes much more adventurous and exciting rather than like you said christianity was very burdensome for you right and it could very well be because of how it was portrayed. Yeah. And I know that was the case for me too, right? Yeah. For for most people. Yeah. So the way it's being gets used is trash. And I agree with that. But the Bible in right. of itself, you know, is sometimes is a victim of like the interpreters. But yeah. But but he's welcome to believe and we, we need to respect that that for where Chris is right now, it's not like eighty percent or fifty <laughs> it's like one hundred percent this Bible is trash. And that's we, we need to take that at face value. Right? Well, and, and I kind of derailed myself there on the whole Bible thing. I was going in a different direction, oh. but, you know, <laughs> I'm no, sorry. I mean, no worries. No, it's all good. I, you know, but I, I just there are things in the Bible that are very burdensome to me. Yes. And that's, you know, yeah. God uh, commanding Israelites to commit genocide because people aren't. Uh, Israelites, they're Gentiles. Right. So it's it's racism. There are, you know, uh, uh, women are, their hands are cut off because they've, you know, grabbed a man's testicles. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there, women are, are you know, taken and they're being raped. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Women are taken and being raped, you know, at the command of yeah. God. Uh, you know, it's sickening. And it's like, if, if that's in the Bible, and I'm supposed to believe some of it, but not all of it. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I get what you're saying yeah. is that it's, you know, um, probably it's not divine. Or are you saying that it's not, I mean, obviously it's God inspired, but are you trying to say that it's like, it's not to be taken uh, yeah. as like an actual command of God? It's just what the Israelites thought. Well, listen, if you were actually, if people were actually taught, Hey, I, when I read those things, I'm sickened as well. Do you know that, my perception, especially as we look through the lens of Jesus, that I bet God was sickened by those things as well, in the sense that it's very possible that these biblical writers were culturally conditioned, right? And of course, our ancient family would perceive God in such a way, right? But in such a way, it's descriptive and not necessarily prescriptive. It's not like well, we have to see that's the downfall as people say, well, that was objectively 100% God speaking when he commanded this genesis. That's one way of looking at it. No wonder why we're like, yeah, bye Bible. But if another way was, hey, yeah, do you read that? Like, of course, they were culturally conditioned. These were passionate God lovers who didn't have, uh, uh, you know, what we might consider a, a Jesus y kind of lens to look at God. They were lived in a tribal culture. All the tribal experiences, you know, that they were connected to perceived a God who violently punished sin. Like these are a no brainers, right? Um, and they're looking at this things in hindsight. So it's like, well, if we lost in a war, 
as we're writing about this many years later, yeah, God wasn't on our side. And actually, because we were sinful, God gave us into the hands of the enemy. Because they perceived God as, you know, if it rained, God made it rain. If someone farted, well, you know, God made the, like, that's how intricately God was interwoven into every single event. But we don't see that now. We don't have that same view. And we can appreciate that as our ancient ancestors. And we could say, yeah, that's that's not how we look at it. But man, that's that's kooky Uncle Tom and, you know, Uncle Ishmael. And so there's a different way of, but then we can say, oh, well, that's where they got it right. Wow. Did you read that Psalm? Dude. Yeah, but how do you how do you know that that's the nature of God? Like one scripture is the nature of God, but one's Chris. not. Like how do you yes. know to tell them apart? Well, I actually, you know, I actually in my book, which which we're not talking about too much, and that's totally cool. But here's <laughs> where I'm gonna do a plug here. Please do. And this isn't a book on hermeneutics by any means, but this is where I I land, Chris. Um, uh, so I have a, a five part lens that I call the pentalateral hermeneutic of love. So in other words, I say to myself, if if this picture portrayal of God does not fit this five-part lens in some way, then for me, I'm not saying everybody else, for me, I have to say something is going on with this text. Um, and it could be that they were culturally conditioned. It could be I'm reading my own bias into it. So the five-part lens would be the fruit of the spirit, the biblical definition of love, the only parabolic picture that Jesus gave of God, the father in the prodigal son, or as I call the prodigal father, perfect love described in Matthew 5 in the radical self-giving others empowering life of Jesus. So I'm not just making this up. So then I say, maybe, just maybe, it's not an accurate portrayal of God. If in a passage of scripture, God is exhibiting the works of the flesh, hatred, jealousy, rage, if God is not working in according to the definition of love, so if God is not patient or kind or protective, but is rather easily angered and keeps records of wrong, if God doesn't not forgive or compassionately invite sinners into God's presence, this is Matthew 5, where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in that context, it was a God who reigns on, on the righteous and the unrighteous and, and is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's the whole context. Powerful. And then, well, does this portrayal of God in this verse, does it look like Jesus who forgave and loved his enemies? So if it's not with that five-part grid, I could say maybe something else is going on there. And it's not too far off with other people's kind of reflection on this. Um, you know, certainly Greg Boyd, you know, he's wrote, written something, something very much related about the culturally conditioned authors and stuff. So it's where people are headed. Um, and so that's much more palatable. It's much more, oh, well, this gives me a framework to understand, you know, the some of the more grotesque and violent passages we read. And it's okay. That's the Bible. It's full of wild stuff, great stuff, interesting stuff, sick stuff, beautiful stuff, mystical, wild, apocalyptic. No, it's great. Yeah. Sorry for, right. for even long winded. No, dude. No, that's great. Mark, this has been great. In fact, you brought up a really good point because we haven't talked a lot about your, your book yet. Um, <laughs> I've really been enjoying getting to know you yeah. this whole time. I'm thinking I'm thinking like how I'm like, um, how are we gonna like 
Like maybe we do need group therapy with Mark. I think this might be good for all of us. <laughs> so, um, but let's, but let's, um, you know, for the rest of the time we have, let's let's start talking more about your book because that sounds like something that I think I know at least myself can benefit from in helping understand and what to do with the Bible. Because I think a lot of us um, either leaning towards or or in say position that I'm in where. Um, I no longer, you know, believe in heaven and hell. I have kind of thrown out a lot of verses that deal with homosexuality and like condemning people, anything that would, that would cause me to judge somebody that would get in the way of me loving my family or my fellow man. I think I feel like there's a lot of, I feel like those are the shit verses that Chris was talking about. And so for me, I'm able to, much like you were talking about, or Pete Ince has mentioned before, understand, okay, well, that was culturally for that time. That's the way they understood God. But as culture progressed, they understood God differently. And that's why the Bible progresses in such a way. I would also agree with, shout out to my book, my theologian buddy, Seth, you know, with the whole idea that, you know, God continuously moves. And just because the Bible ends at Revelation doesn't mean that, like, the Bible is, has stopped being written. And I feel like, especially for the times, that we live in right now, um, there's some really, imp- really important voices that are, are doing some some certain things that are helping keep Christianity alive. Because if Christianity looked like it did even 10 years ago, and they want to hold on to what Christianity was in you know 2010 or let's say 1990, like it, there would be it would be dead. It cannot survive in 2020 that type of Christianity. And so. Um, Honestly, you're giving me hope. I'm excited. Like th- there's life in this conversation. So I want to know more about what you're doing with your book um, because I think I need to pick up a puck. And is it an audible or can you like, yeah, how much would you charge me to read it to me at, at night? Because because <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not a big reader. I'm just going to be honest. So oh, good. No, it is I have audible, a lot so. of friends like that. Yeah, it is an audible. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, you talked a little bit about the, fi- the five... What did you call them? The the five different. I was like, literally reading that before we came on. That was the that was the part I was I was reviewing. So yeah, go into it. Nice, Seth. It's great to hear your voice, man. <laughs> I love you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, no, really, man. Because you know, in group therapy, you're always like the person who isn't talking. You want to like bring him in the mix. Oh, you're good. Uh, you're good. I feel, I just, I feel let's, let's, hear, let's hear about this, this five-step hermeneutical love. I know we're going to keep, we're going to keep going. Tell tell us about this, this love pentagram or <laughs> something. <laughs> I got to, I got I need to step away. <laughs> no, no, that, that's fair. <laughs> That's fair because people would see it as quite demonic. So I'm, I, I, I take that with a grain of salt. But listen, we just tell me about we, your love pentagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, I, I already, uh, I already talked about it. But um, you want to, <laughs> Mark? I love you. Have you listened to our show before, Mark? Because you were like killing it today. Is it? Chris, is he not? He's yeah. killing every one of us. He's killing it. He's killing it. I'm killing it. it. I'm yeah. killing it, guys. Actually, yeah. to be honest, I'm I'm very lax in my podcasting listening, so I've I, I don't think I listened to a, a full episode. I apologize. No, it, there's running there's no, there's no running jokes though about that, and and you, yeah, you, you're hitting you, all the you, running you jokes. Just called him out on one of my favorite ones about how um, I have interrupted myself 
to allow mm-hmm. to allow Seth to speak to to have him ask a question that the the person just got done answering, and I love I love that you're just like I just got done answering that, so now we're gonna move on. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we've known each other for a while, right? We could be direct. Yeah, this, this is great. Yeah, I feel like your family. So, um, but I want to know more about your book. I have I did not get a chance to. You sent us yeah. a chapter for, and hopefully our Patreon members like we got a free chapter. But let's let's support this guy. Yeah. Like I feel like um what you're you're onto something. Um, if you write anything like the way that sh- that you speak interact, I think that yeah. um mm-hmm. it's like simple. It's like it, it's logic almost. It's like looking at faith almost like simplified, like logically. Like if it doesn't like why try to do gymnastics over something? And a lot of times theologians yeah. or or books that you read about Christianity. Uh, filled with lots of scripture, lots of the things that like kind of like, and, and it just seems like at, at the end of it, you're convinced, but you don't know how you got there. And and yeah, like, yeah. I like a faith that it's like A plus B Grounded. equals C. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm with you. Um, yeah, I wanted to write a book that combined an integrated psychology, philosophy, spiritual formation, um, theology. But it's important to have its feet on the ground. You know, I'm I, I'm so done with abstract, you know, ivory tower, just out there, you know, theological mumbo jumbo. Yes, yes. If it doesn't impact our lives, uh, so for me as a therapist who works with clients, so for me, I, I think much. It's very complicated, but I think much of these theological jousting is really a defense mechanism. And, and Seth, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, my friend. Um, <laughs> really, of of it gets away from real life. Like you're so focused on reading all these bu- biblical theology books and jousting and debating, but yet your marriage is falling apart. Your relationships with your kids suck. You're, you're filled with so much shame and self doubt and insecurities. You have anxious existential angst about the future. I mean, but let's 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 deny all that. Let's suppress all that, uh, and let's go in our heads these theological castles and just so yeah. But theology is important because it's also life and death. Because to not have an alternative viewpoint to the toxic stuff that's out there, um, it doesn't do it justice either. So theology is important. But if we're if this ain't real life, if this ain't practical, if this Christianity has nothing to do with the pandemic or the issue of systemic racism that we're it's so much in the forefront, what is this? You know, we're just spinning our ham- wheels like hamsters. You know, Seth, what do you think? That's how I feel. Um... I feel like I am in a hamster wheel yeah. and it's partially why my faith has been on pause for the last two years with several jump starts um, mm. and then backing away um, mm-hmm. it, it, for those, it, it, all the reasons mm-hmm. you just listed. Um, it, yeah. 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 I mean, you're, Oh, I don't know if I could say what you do, but you know, you're in the trenches, Seth, you know, and if it's right, I mean, if you're not, if what you believe 
if your faith or spirituality does not affect you or the person you're working with, then, you know, what is it? Exactly. And I I mean, that's so, and I don't want to make this about myself, um, but I mean, I was going to go into the ministry and then decided not to. Um, And the reason that I chose the career path that I did was what was the closest thing I could get to the ministry that wasn't um, sanctioned by the church. And so I chose social work. Um, And it does impact. Uh, For me, I always just, when it comes to faith and it comes like how that impacts my job and how I relate to people and how I connect to people, it always comes back to Christ. Um, but it's not the church. <laughs> like, uh, and I don't, Christianity, in my opinion, is, is losing and has lost a lot of respect in my, in my mind. The, the whole idea that like the, the people I see on Facebook right now saying the most racist things are not the people that I was taught to avoid, the, the people I was taught to be friends with, and they're people in churches. Um, and it, it's, just, it's very concerning to me. And so I, I don't know if I'm even making sense. I'm just, I'm railing at this point. Yeah. But, yeah. Tracking with you. Yeah. It's good to hear your, yeah. your heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so this book, religious refugees deconstructing towards spiritual and emotional healing was written because as a, you know, ordained pastor, who's, you know, not working in a church at this point um, as a, as a therapist, just as a human being who's connected with so many people of faith, seeing how many people struggle, uh, have tension, cognitive dissonance, uh, pain, um, PTSD symptoms, you know, all these experiences, and then looking at what's out there. You know, I said, man, I just, I want to help people. I want to write something that, you know, if I could take a funnel and from my head and my heart and put it in some kind of book, then, you know, it's, I just wanted to write something that people can use on their journey. And I was just so tired of people seeing it, being alone. And the aloneness is what kills so many people to feel like they're the only ones going through this, that something's wrong with them, that, you know, they like to be thrown. Hath God really said as Satan once said to uh, our ancient ancestors, to say that, you know, if you question, if you doubt, then you're hanging out with Satan, man. You're So all, all these experiences, I just wanted to write something that um, they can benefit from. And uh, so what I call, I call this religious disorientation growth syndrome. And so this, I don't know if anyone can relate to this. But these are some of the symptoms that I've encountered, not only in my own life, but other people who are going through what I call sort of this deconstruction, reconstructing journey. And one is doubting or denying one's religious beliefs that were once held as true. Two, a subtle or intense anxiety about a person's relationship with God. Three, an increase of painful emotions such as anger or shame, guilt, sadness, despair. Four, isolation and criticism, feared or realized from family members or members within their own religious community, and existential angst about one's sort of uh, 
identity and future self. Like, so it just seemed that a lot of people were experiencing these kinds of symptoms. So I threw a term on it. And, uh, and so growth is in there because I've seen, like Chris, in your life, that there's a transformation that occurs when you can be free from that stuff. As disorienting as it is in the beginning, it can lead you to a different way of being that is much more congruent with who you are and much more liberating. So that's your religious disorientation growth syndrome. Seth, you thought that was quite amusing. <laughs> yeah, I uh, did. Because I, yeah. uh, I, I can identify with every single one of those symptoms. <laughs> like I was like, mm-hmm, check, yeah. check, check, check. Officially diagnosed, my brother. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, sounds like you need his book. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so one more time, give us the name of the book, um, any social media uh, handles sure. you have, people can get a hold of you if they have any questions and things like that, because um, yeah, I love what you're doing. And it's- so, sounds good, Omar. Thank you so much. Um, religious Refugees, Deconstructing, Deconstructing Toward Spiritual and Emotional Healing. I'm not the biggest social media guru. But most people just find me on Facebook. I do have a, a, a website. My therapy website is markgregorykaros.com. And then a site for my second book, which is Divine Echoes. Um, it's sort of an investigation and deconstruction, reconstruction of a petitionary prayer. In other words, does praying in one's room for an ailing family member, maybe they have COVID, does that do anything? Or does that actually create more suffering in the world? Um, so I, I believe the, the latter, but anyway, that's a, another book. I do mention that in, in religious refugees too. Awesome. I will say that for any listeners, um, if you pick up religious refugees, I will give you the second book, uh, best-selling book for free. Awesome. And do you, do you PDF, have, P, PDF do you have like a, a code or something they, they want them to put in or anything like that? No, no, no. Just send me an email, reach out to me, Facebook or something, and I'll just, I'll just email. That's an awesome gift. Yeah, and that's really nice. Are, are, are both of these books um, available on Audible or in, in, like? Yeah, everywhere. Like, so. mm-hmm. Cool. And do you read them yourself? Yeah. Is it going to be your voice that I hear? Unfortunately, unfortunately not. Okay. No. That's all right. Yeah. It's all right, man. Um, awesome. I just sent you a friend request, by the way. So. Very cool, bro. Appreciate you being yeah. here, and um, yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Good to be meeting with you. That was a, that was our official heart out, I think. Unless somebody else wants to give one, want to give one, Chris? No, uh, I think that was fine. I I, uh, I apologize. My question earlier was like super convoluted, and I, I didn't really get to finish it. Um, but we'll do that on another podcast or something. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't know what's going on, guys. You guys definitely need group therapy. The <laughs> dynamics of the room is like, what's going on, Seth? Man, what's up, bro? I, I like, I feel. What's up? Is this how it works? Is that? What do you mean? Man, I was so excited to hear your your heart, man, and your thoughts. And he stuff. stifles his uh, his heart. Sometimes I do. Yeah. Oh, I mean, how much would you, how much would you charge for group therapy? Because I think we could probably benefit from it. Yeah, you guys oh can. I'm seeing it. Um, Omar. Yeah, you know. Omar. That's uh, 
What are you doing? I'm, I'm trying to. I'm, try, I'm, 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 try, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to help the podcast and all of us grow as human beings. And I care about you and us. Oh man. And I, and, I, and, invite, and this dude's awesome. You invite a guest onto our show I'm, and then ask him to do therapy. No, I'm, That's I'm, I'm not. I asked this him works. how much it would be. Because yeah, yeah, we have a budget. Yeah, you have a budget, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen. Patrons, patrons, please, we're increasing monthly payments to the Patreon so that we all can receive group therapy. We actually so might get, we actually might get more people content. given to us because they're like, finally. 